Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 366. This week, we're taking a break from the cruise stories for just a week to talk about something that a lot of people have been talking about, which is our cruise lines being treated unfairly. Yes, with the cruise shutdown in place and has been in place for months and many more months to go, more than likely... The question of are the cruise lines being treated the same way that other travel industries are being treated is something that's been debated up and down. And today I wanted to talk about this exact topic as we dive right into it. Here we go. Ever since cruising shut down, including Royal Caribbean, there's been a lot of discussion on the Internet about you know, the, the future of cruising and the nature of cruising and also about the treatment of the cruise lines, because after all, you know, the Part, I would say the majority of the reason why cruises have shut down largely is based on uh, government oversight. A lot of new rules and regulations have been added in light of the global pandemic to stem the tide of international travel uh, as well as discretionary travel in an effort to, along with other things, to hope, you know, contain the virus, slow its progress down, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, today we wanted to talk about the topic that I think you may have read about or seen about, talked about yourself being a cruise fan, which of course is, are the cruise lines being treated fairly? And to join me on this episode is a man who uh, definitely has been on this podcast before, has many opinions and likes to write strongly worded letters about them. It is Billy from CruiseHabit.com. Welcome back, Billy. Thank you. I'm so surprised. I thought you were going to uh, introduce me. Like, you know, when I think about uh, pandemics and mass sickness, I think about <laughs> my friend Billy Hirsch from CruiseHabit.com. So uh, that was actually a lot nicer than I was expecting. So thanks for having me. <laughs> my pleasure to have you on here. Uh, well, maybe I'll have to edit it in post and, and change that intro, but for now, we'll keep it. Um, but, you know, this is an interesting topic because obviously both Billy and I obviously are, are cruise fans first and foremost. So we're not coming at this, you know, necessarily from the perspective of somebody who's got an axe to grind against the cruise industry. By the same token, I, I think that we also are the kind of people that can at least see what the other side of the fence is saying about things. And I feel like we have a pretty good uh, understanding of the of the issues at hand. And again, we're not going to be here just to pour the Kool-Aid down everybody's throat. Uh, I think this is really just an opportunity to talk about, I think, what a lot of people have been doing, Billy, which ever since this really started is, you know, uh, you know, should cruises uh, not be able to operate? Um, are, you know, other aspects of travel reopening an issue and so forth and so on? But, you know, let, let's start, I guess, with the, kind of taking a step back here and talking about the whole shutdown, because the shutdown began in March. Uh, around the world, and the major cruise lines really shut down in about mid-March or so. And since then, they have been shut down. There have been a couple of cruise lines, very small ones in Europe, that have resumed sailings. But at the recording of this podcast, even they're running into some issues. Um, so, you know, give it, if you're listening to this podcast beyond the day it comes out, keep in mind that we're recording this at a certain time. Of so things can change. But uh, without all that being said, Billy, you know, what's your take on it as we look? Here? I'm going to let you start things off in, in how things have progressed from March through now the beginning of August. Uh, so, OK, so you want me to just start by summarizing everything that's happened in the world since March of 2020. <laughs> Great. <laughs> it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> <laughs> the Odyssey by Homer. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, at the beginning and actually, you know, before we even talk about exactly things having stopped cruising not being a thing uh you did mention there are some lines that are cruising and we should probably just differentiate um for all the things that we're talking about uh not differentiate but make clear what we're what we mean when we say that cruising stopped right and that is that in uh mid-march i believe it was like the day after my birthday because that's what i got this year um the uh all cruise lines in that that visit the u.s said, well, we're, we're not visiting the U.S., we're not sailing out of the U.S., and that was uh, based on um, CDC guidance, but as well as, frankly, cruise lines seeing that, you know, things needed were going to be changing anyway. Um, and those regulations, when the CDC decides something, that really covers ships that are visiting U.S. ports, 
vessels that uh, otherwise participate in U.S. regulatory programs, which may mean they're not visiting U.S. port today, but, you know, there may be something scheduled. Uh, and it also specifically talks about vessels carrying uh, more than, and I believe the number, someone can angrily email Matt at royalcribblog.com if I'm wrong, uh, vessels carrying more than 250 people. There are similar um and in some cases, different regulations that have come up throughout Europe and other countries as well. Uh, Australia, New Zealand, they they have a number of restrictions. But I think for the most part, what we're talking about here, since we're talking about the CDC, is that that stoppage that happened uh, March. I think it happened March 15th was was D-Day, if you will. And yeah, I was supposed to go on Mariners. Oh, sorry, I was supposed to go on Harmony of the Seas March 15th. So, yeah, it's a, key. It's a date that will live in infamy in this household. Yeah. Yeah. I missed one by the skin of my teeth, but not quite like that. Um, so, so yeah, mi- mid-March, we saw that cruising for the purpose of uh, those of us listening to this in the U.S., talking about cruising. Uh, and, and at that point, I think it had already largely been a thing for Europe. So talking about cruising out of the U.S., Australia, New Zealand and Europe had stopped. Uh, but specifically, that's the date for the US and the, the logic here, um, I think there were, were two things that fed it. And this may become the, in, you may disagree, Matt, but I, I think this these are the two main things that have informed decisions by the CDC and by others up to this point. One of them being a very logical and reasonable, hey, uh, there's, this, there's this thing that's spreading and we don't yet know enough about how about how far this is this is going, about how this is going. Um, we don't yet know enough, and, but we do know that mm, putting people in groups and sending people to different destinations probably isn't something good until we can figure out how to, to better manage the situation. But the other thing, number two, uh, was that the, you know, I, I hate saying the media because that sounds like such a, boilerplate. It sounds like so overly simplified, but uh, in general, people, because the media does things because people consume them, uh, really like reading about and clicking on negative cruise stories. The cruise industry gets a lot of attention um, because while, yeah, 30 million uh, people a year cruise, um, it's, it's, it gets more attention than that because it's something that's different, because it's something that's unusual or exotic to people, and because there are a lot of misunderstandings around things. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into talking about like norovirus numbers, for example. That's a, a favorite topic of mine. So, you know, in, in mid-March, we hit that point where we didn't know enough to, to know how things are spreading, what what the exact nature of the hazards are, what steps need to be taken to mitigate. And um, and we had a general, this crazy notion of cruise ships or Petri dishes. That's what got us there. And where, where have we gone since then? Well, we have learned uh, quite a bit around um, how the disease spreads, um, certain things we can do to prevent and mitigate it. Um, we know it is still a certainly a challenge, and I don't know if we've seen much of a change in that stigma with cruising. Uh, it, it seems like it's not talked about anymore uh, as much in the mainstream, um, but that's also because cruising isn't happening, so I guess there's not as much to talk about up until very recently. I just said a lot yeah, of I, words, Matt. <laughs> I, I think that's a really good backstory to kind of how this all began, and again, if you're going back to March, <clears throat> there are two major events that, in my opinion, occur- occurred that largely lead us to where we are today. One of them was, uh, even before cruising shut down, the, uh, the two princess cruises in Japan that had the first infections, the Diamond Princess and the Grand Princess, I believe, was the other one. And okay. those ships, I'm going to go back to something you said earlier. Billy, because those ships were two vessels that not only had um, uh, substantial outbreaks on them, but they were they were the uh, they were handled in a time in which the knowledge of the virus was very early, and the media, of course, latched onto it because it was a story. And um, that narrative from that experience of the people being trapped, for lack of a better word, on the ship. Um, has been the that that set the tone, if you will, for everything going forward. 
Then fast forward a couple weeks later, and we get to that March timeframe in which you're talking about the CDC, uh, following up on a number of other countries who had said, okay, you know, uh, cruise travel is going to stop now. And that was the, the lay of the law there. And that occurred. And in March, you know what? It's hard to say that I, that it wasn't warranted based on everything else happening in the world. I mean, the airlines were shutting down to a large degree, not completely, but to a large degree. You know, uh, theme parks were shutting down. Las Vegas shut down. I mean, everything was going into lockdown. And I think if we were to go back to March 15th, if we were going to April 1st, April 15th even, I think we'd all be on the same page because we saw kind of this concerted effort across the world to contain the virus. That was the thing. And since then, a number of things have, have occurred, in my opinion. Uh, number one, we've learned a lot more about the virus. Uh, number two, and this is what kind of I think is going to lead us to our greater discussion here today, is uh, other aspects of travel and life in general, if you want to call it that, has reopened. But cruise lines still face the, uh, the, the same restrictions that they are unable to cruise due to legal action, among other things as well. Let's not pretend that even if cruises were able to go, there aren't a number of countries that simply will not let people into the, into there. And, um, you know, I, I'm going to set up the, I'm going to set up the, the argument here, Belly, and then we can go off that. The argument that's being made by a lot of people is that the airlines have been able to operate completely uninhibited. I mean, they, the only reason they've cut back flights is purely based on supply and demand. There's been no demand, so they cut back flights. But no, you know, American Airlines, Delta, uh, you know, British Airways, they're able to do whatever they want to do as they see fit uh, for one one way or another. They've implemented rules, don't get me wrong, but they're able to operate. Las Vegas has reopened. Walt Disney World has reopened, as long as some overseas theme parks of Disney's, but not Disneyland. Um, uh, hotels here in the United States have reopened Mostly, uh, there, I'm, there's obviously a lot of hotels here, so I can't account for all of them. Uh, you know, restaurants have reopened in some states, but as of the recording of this podcast, a lot of these places have opened, and a lot of people are wondering. So we can go on an airplane ride, we can go to a theme park, we can go do all that. We go to Las Vegas, but we can't go on a cruise ship. Why is that? Doesn't that seem sound unfair? And, and to your earlier point, um, going back to the beginning of this. Um, I, I kind of understood, right? Um, because let's face it, um, cruising is a, is a luxury. It is a, uh, it is the most optional of things, contrary to what I have tried to convince, uh, my spouse sometimes, uh, <laughs> that it is absolutely necessary for my personal happiness. Um, it, uh, you know, so I understand how even when we didn't really know much, uh, airlines, for example, okay, you know what, I got I, I got family I got to go take care of. I have, you know, work that I got to fly to this place for. Understand, make sense. I, you know, I, I, I understand that we're comparing, for example, airlines and cruise lines. It's not apples and apples. I also understand, though, that um, w all the things that, uh, as we've learned different things about how to uh, prevent and mitigate uh, the disease, um, it certainly seems many of those things can more easily be applied to uh, cruise lines than other places. So uh, even even in, in many cases to hotels, one, the cruise industry has a long history of being somewhat of a, I want to say a pariah, but, you know, again, with the, the history of, of norovirus and people thinking it's some common thing on ships, quick aside, it's not. You're 35 times more likely to get norovirus on land than on a cruise ship. <laughs> I have I have data there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so the cruise industry is already um, well, they've, they've practiced. And, and as we've learned more, they can apply different HVAC systems. They can apply different practices. They can reduce capacity. The, the same things that some people would say, well, at a hotel, Billy, people aren't packed in as tight. They're not, you know, together all the time. That makes sense. You're you're right. However, those same things also mean that cruise lines have uh, an ability to control the environment a lot more. Kind of in, in a weird way like Walt Disney World, right? Um, when every part of your experience is, is under their control, it's much easier to not just enforce, but accommodate uh, different safety procedures, different technologies that can make things safer. Whereas you can open a hotel 
and you can do everything right. But if your hotel was uh, booked to whatever your current capacity is tonight because there is a concert down the street and a thousand people from your hotel go to that concert and are packed in and then go back to your hotel, didn't matter that you did everything right. Um, that that's that's I think the where we get to some interesting differences is, is the ability to control for certain factors is very different on cruise ships and I, I think they have a much better ability to control for those things than on land and yet as you said um, it seems that uh, cruise you know the idea of cruising it's, it's just a non-starter and it, it it'll be the last thing it certainly seems um, next to I, I don't know. Uh, kissing booths is cartoons. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I think your your summary of that is is very appropriate, and obviously I think that a, a lot of that goes also back towards cruising resuming operations. Um, there are two things that jump out at me, Billy, about the nature of the shutdown now. That that I'm going to give you the two things that jump out at me as at Exhibit A and Exhibit B of why not that cruising is being treated uh, unfairly. I don't think that's the appropriate way to cite, even though that's the name of this podcast, because it's a, it's it, it, it does better in the SEO world. Um, I'm going to tell you that cruise lines are being treated uh, to a double standard. And there are two things that jump out at me, and I'm basing both these, by the way, off the CDC's no-sale order, which is a 20-page document. Actually, this is the extension of the order that came out in mid-July. You can read it on the CDC's website. It's very boring. It's riveting. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to go to uh, the, the two things that jumped out at me as the rationale. Because, of course, the CDC's no-sale order has been extended at least two different times now. And I'm honestly not sure if this is two or three. Uh, but regardless, um, there are two things that jump out at me. Number one. The CDC's findings are, first of all, if un, and I'm directly quoting now, if unrestricted cruise ship passenger operations were permitted to resume, infected and exposed persons disembarking cruise ships would place federal partners like the Customs and Border Protection, the U.S. Coast Guard, health workers, port personnel, and communities at substantial unnecessary risk. So that's number one. And number two is a lot of their other findings, a lot of their other, here's the evidence you need, you know, here's the damning evidence, if you want to call it that is based on the experiences the cruise lines had in uh, between January and March when they were still operating and the early outbreaks on board the ships. And the the reason why this jumps out at me as a double standard is twofold. Number one, the quote I gave you earlier about the operations being permitted to resume, uh, that's fine. I'm okay with this. I, I think there's logic to that, but I don't see how that doesn't apply to other facets of travel, specifically the airlines, because it is without a shadow of a doubt Definitively proven, the airlines have been responsible for spreading coronavirus from country to country, continent to continent, all over the world. You can't, people don't travel anymore on steamliners and trains. It's all done on airplanes. And because of the nature of the virus, because it's such a long incubation period, you know, you, you spread it without knowing it. And then a couple of days later, you come down with it. But meanwhile, you've already spread it to, you know, hundreds and then exponentially beyond that. And that's number one. And number two, of course, the data from early 2020, the Diamond Princess, which, which is cited all over the place in this article, or in the extension, rather, is fine, but, like, nobody knew anything back then. That's like, it, it's like the beginning of a book and, 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 and blaming the protagonist for not knowing who, the, who, the, who the, the big bad was later in the story. Like, it's, uh, it, yeah, that's accurate information, but it was at a time when no one knew what they were doing. And yeah. obviously, no cruise line is going to say, yeah, we're going to go back to operations the same way we were on March 14th. Like, no, of course not. They're going to come up with, and we see this already with the cruise lines coming up with their policies. So those are the two things that jump out at me, Billy. And I'll let you, what do, what do you think of those points? Yeah, so um, first of all, I agree. And again, with the caveat that I do recognize that there are um, – cruising is not uh, a necessity in the same way that airlines are. I, I do, again, recognize and acknowledge that. Um, if I were to go point by point with some of those, like one thing that, that sticks out is uh, if I think about the number of people that I interact with as part of an embarkation to disembarkation uh, process for a cruise versus a plane, I interact with far more people far more closely getting onto an airplane and off of uh, like customs personnel, Matt, in the last year, you've been within like 
15 feet of a customs person getting off of a ship. I, I haven't. Um, that's, that's not really something that happens anymore. Um, you know, and, and throughout the checking process, it's just, it's a materially different thing in that way. So I'm not sure that the exposure levels there, uh, are, are the same. Um, you know, and, and yes, we have learned so much more and you can see this globally, globally, the outcomes for infected people are better today than they were four months ago. Why is that? Well, because four months ago, we didn't know what to do when someone got sick, right? Right. <laughs> now we have time. We've we've learned different therapies uh, in some cases. And hey, this is why it's practicing medicine. You're always you're always reevaluating, you know, based on new findings. Um, in some cases, like less aggressive ventilator use turned out to be, you know, in, in many cases, a, a much safer thing. Um, that was contrary to what we had initially thought. So there's all these different things, even, you know, on that side. And of course that applies to cruising as well. Um, a diamond princess, you know, part of what was really confusing, they, they thought everyone was doing when diamond princess happened, everyone thought they were doing the absolute best that they could at the time. And I think they were doing the best thing that they could at the time. They said, we don't want this to spread. Keep the people on the ship. Everyone's got to stay in their cabins. Going to bring everyone their food. We're in, Tyvek suits and respirators, bringing people food and, and supplies. All of that makes sense. Kept spreading. They couldn't figure it out. Well, in retrospect, likely through the HVAC system, because certain groups of cabins shared ventilation systems with, uh, I think on Diamond Princesses, what did they say? 30% mix of recirculated air and no HEPA filtration. Okay, well, there, there's a big thing in and of itself that we learned that could have stopped things in a pretty big way on that ship. We just didn't know at the time they were trying to do all the right things. We have that information now. Uh, we don't base our perceived risk of, um, of getting onto uh, an airplane on the airplane technology that we had, you know, pick any period of time, you know, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, a hundred years ago. Um, it's a very different world. Uh, the challenge, of course, is that despite that, despite the fact that we know so much more now, um, and I'm not, I'm not even making the case that cruising should or shouldn't have started by now. That That's not kind of the point. That's not the way I'm looking at it. It's that despite the fact that we know so much more now, uh, what also seems pretty clear is because of the scrutiny that uh, that the cruise industry receives from the public, that will that has and will continue to um, inform the behaviors of the CDC because the CDC uh, they don't want to put out guidance and say well this will reduce spread this will help keep things safe and then take all the blame when whether it's one person or 100 people or whatever the number is get sick so it, and, and frankly, cruise lines, as much as they want to start up, they have the same sort of challenge, right? They want to they want to do all the right things based on much better information, knowledge, understanding that we have now, but they also don't want to catch all the heat when something happens. Um, so we've kind of set it up so that despite learning more, despite being in such a different position and being okay with all these other things, people didn't associate these other things all comes in my mind truly it comes back so much to Nora. people didn't associate Nora with airplanes even though i can pretty much assure you you're getting norovirus on an airplane more likely that, than on a cruise ship um why well people weren't getting tests together people weren't in the same place together you know uh hours later they could be in different states or countries hours later on an airplane uh, they weren't all going to the same healthcare providers who could track this in the same way so there's already that association so despite these things that we now know there, there's going to be the this cloud. There, you know, there, there's going to be um, a, really a zoom lens on the cruise industry whenever things start up, and anything that doesn't go absolutely perfectly is going to be seen as a failure. And that's that's not, in my mind, the way that public policy, uh, or or the, not only public policy should work, but the way that we should govern ourselves. Right? Uh, yep. Individual uh, failures don't ind indicate systemic failures, and that leaves me fearful. Um, and I hope I'm wrong. That leaves me fearful that the burden of—I uh, don't want to say the burden of proof, because proof is yeah, you know, it's it's factual. It's, that's how you something is or isn't. But um, the level of safety, um, the the 
the point at which we will be in this pandemic when the CDC is okay with cruising might be so incredible, so much farther than almost anything else, even though we lack evidence to support that being the logical thing to do. Yeah, I I think that it's something that's uh, first and foremost, I think neither of us are advocating that, you know, cruise ships should resume sailings immediately. Um, the, the, and, and something I talked about earlier, Billy, was the fact that the cruise lines are actually working on, uh, new policies. Uh, actually as the recording of this podcast recorded the same day that MSC cruises announced their policy and, uh, Royal Caribbean and Norwegian are both working in tandem on their own policies, which we should hear the first bits of perhaps at the end of this month in August and Carnival, no doubt working on their own stuff as well. Um, so, you know, the, the no sale order, I think achieved something, which was that number one, it it quickened it it uh, it, it allowed the cru- it stopped the cruise lines from stopping what they probably did on their own, but it might have taken them a little longer to do so uh, because you know you know listen industry is slow to do these kinds of things, um, so it stopped them from doing that, and it has obviously given them time to you know kind of sort their 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 operations here, and clearly the 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 cruise lines are in a position now where to your point, they're not only going to build on the policies that they had in the past, you know, hand sanitizer and certain sanitization uh, efforts that, you know, were were commonplace on cruises to begin with, but they're obviously going to build on it to, to come up with what I suspect is going to be some some, some incredibly in-depth new rules. And, and we've already seen this, some of this with, uh, again, MSC came out with their rules the day of this recording of this podcast. Um, the thing that I think is is irking a lot of people is just again the 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 cruise industry is not in control of their own destiny. They could do everything and and anything they can possibly think of, but at the end of the day, these government restrictions are holding them up. And I, I don't think it's our necessarily our place, Billy, to debate the virtues of the laws or the regulations. Again, I'm not sitting here and telling you the no sale order is a bad idea, actually. What I am confused by is why, again, other means that clearly have demonstrated spread the virus have been largely overlooked or, or simply ignored, if you want to look at it that way, uh, whereas the cruise lines are being held to a, a different standard. And, um, you know, I understand that the CDC treats different method like they have different purviews. They have different oversight. That's not CDC is not this uh, giant big brother type entity that can apply its will on anybody and, and anything. But again, I brought up that quote earlier from the no sale order because I just read that and I said, OK, that makes sense. Except how is that not applied to other forms of travel, which put those exact same people at, at risk? That's what strikes me more as the double standard than if the cruise lines are being treated unfairly as if, you know, somebody's uh, cut their feet up on their desk smoking a cigar and laughing a, a, a giant belly laugh at the demise of the cruise lines waiting for each one of them to go out of business or something like that. It's not quite that 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 stark a um, <laughs> a, a dark scenario, far from it. But um, it, it leads a lot of people to believe, you know, we're, we're now going into, you know, the sixth month of the shut down here and by the way no end in sight um it, it leaves a lot of people wondering you know what what's the end game here yeah here's a way we can look at it you're you know saying i don't understand why this isn't being applied the same way let's actually forget for a moment about the no sale order let's let's pretend i'll tell you what you can Pick your own adventure. Remember those books? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I never read novels. Uh, <laughs> I, I was the geek reading like a you know textbook. Um, p- pick your own adventure. Either there is no no, no there isn't a no sale order and ships are sailing, uh, or there is, but there's also a no fly order, and planes can't fly. Either one. Then the question is. Why are there rules that are, are, why are there things that are clearly going to be required by, by regulators, by operators, and by the public for the cruise industry that don't seem to apply to airlines? 
right? Why is it that United can fill every seat on a plane and not require masks, for example, um, but cruise lines, you know, some of the things that are being talked about that that I think is from the CDC to private businesses, to analysts, to, to, uh, to healthcare providers going, well, obviously you're going to need to, you know, increase distancing and, and there's going to need to be things in place to reduce spread disease. Why, why can an airline consider or actually uh, operate without any of those considerations? And if you're thinking, by the way, well, Billy, planes are a lot smaller, got to get a lot closer. That is absolutely true. Uh, it's also true that airlines to reduce losses have cut the number of planes uh, in the air. So with the current number of people flying, if I was to get on a plane out of Fort Lauderdale right now and fly to uh, LaGuardia, maybe, you know, maybe that plane is nearly full. However, if the plane, if the airlines would have kept more planes in the air, more similar to the way things were before March, um, there, you know, maybe there would only be a third of the number of people on that plane. So the airline was allowed the convenience of not having to play by those rules, even if it meant uh, doing things that are contrary to what all of us, with the asterisk that some people are always going to believe bananas things, all of us know you probably don't want to be packed in a coach well, on a full flight, right? But airlines yeah. were given the, the 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 green light to no save your money, keep some planes on the ground, just pack everyone in like you know as much as you can. The fact that that's okay is far beyond anything to me about whether or not cruise lines sail right now, because neither of us, as you mentioned, are necessarily saying cruise lines should be sailing right this moment. It's like they're it's like they exist in different worlds in terms of the discussions that are happening. Yeah. Uh, I, I find it really, really kind of outrageous. I mean, I think, geez, if I need to get on a plane to go meet up with my my dad in North Carolina right now, like I, I actually have to consider each individual airline, maybe each individual flight and not know if that could be a completely full flight. That's crazy. That's crazy. And to be honest, even if cruise lines were operating, that's going to hurt the cruise line, too, because there will be some people that are going to be like, mm, yeah, I live too far to drive and I'm not flying to the port. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I think that and and in this conversation, a lot of what we're going to be talking about, I mean, the CDC obviously has purview over the cruise lines based on maritime law. I actually wrote an article on realcreamblog.com. Why did the CDC have has jurisdiction over them? It's a. Uh, Lengthy post that I'm sure will put you to bed, but it's interesting, uh, and you can read about I'm it. Like one of mine, so, jeez. <laughs> so the CDC obviously has purview over there, and I think what we're really looking at here is, you know, whether we're talking about the airlines, whether we're talking about theme parks, whether we're talking about hotels, any facets of travel apply or, or are subject to other jurisdictions that have had implemented very different, if any. Um, uh, regulations that are related to COVID nineteen, and I think if, if if I could if I could sit here and pretend to be the CDC director, right? The rationale would be the reason why cruises aren't sailing is look around you. We live in a world where is, and I say well, forget that we live in a country. We're talking about this United States for the purposes of this example. We live in a country where there's you know COVID nineteen is is rampant, and it would be unsafe to for cruise ships to operate. And it's kind of like, you know, that th that makes sense, um, and we understand that. But at the same time, you're kind of like, you know, it it's like the cop pulling you over. I don't, know, I don't know if this example works, but like for speeding, but everybody else is speeding around you. That's kind of the the the, the feeling yeah. that I feel like it has. Not that it, that we weren't speeding because we were, and we got the ticket. But it it feels like that's the problem. It's like, well, we, you guys can't go back on the road. You can't go back until you know, every, everybody else stops doing it and okay, but everyone else is, there. it's a bigger problem. And I, I think that's probably what I think leads us to the issue of that metaphor I used earlier about the, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And that's kind of where you start to look around and you start to say, I, I think some people, right, or, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but I think some people really do at this point believe that you know, cruising should start again, and to heck with you know if if it's right or wrong. But because everybody else can, 
why can't they? And that's kind of, I think, where this uh, cruise line is being treated fairly, um, um, or unfairly, I should say, uh, argument is coming from. It's stemming from. It's not that we're not in, in again, in March, I would have told you, I would have thought that everybody was kind of on the same page where, like, we got to pitch in and do our part and, and roll our sleeves up here and, and suck it up. And now it feels like there's that that appetite for that is not there anymore. Meanwhile, the CDC can still hold the you know can still hold the cruise lines at that, but other aspects of life have come back again, right or wrong. But they it it, it it's it feels like we're the kids who are at home uh, on a snow day or at school on a snow day where everyone else is at home. If that makes sense. And and I I fear as I alluded to earlier that public opinion uh, will drive this in um, in a direction that we may not love. Um, I'm going to make a weird comparison here because uh, along with long rants about credit cards, that's my thing. Um, <laughs> the, in Not just in the United States, in most countries, um, if you want, uh, if someone has, uh, is going to be found guilty of a crime, um, you, you generally want uh, a judge to decide that over a jury. Um, you want the jury if you're thinking you might be able to be found not guilty because uh, juries um, of peers tend to be much more um, uh, tend to find people guilty of a, you know, a wider range of things that lead to harsher sentences. Um, And we see that even, even in schools that participate in like um, uh, peer peer review of behavioral problems we see the same thing even kids do this right we're much harsher on uh, on each other and there's a uh, the cdc is actually taking public opinion on uh, on this saying when should cruise lines what needs to happen in order for cruise lines to be able to sail yes and i thought that was a really interesting thing and i'm, I'm glad they're doing it don't get me wrong because everything we just talked about um, as much as I love hearing the sound of my voice and tolerate yours, Matt, um, is kind of uh, is kind of pointless until we have a um, until we know what success is, right? Instead of talking about um, c- comparing one thing to the other, uh, let's figure out what success is. Whether it's for cruise lines, for airlines, for hotels, for theme parks, for movie theaters, for gyms, whatever. What does success look like? And that's up to kind of each uh, that, that's up to i guess people as a whole individuals to the extent that you get to choose whether or not you partake in any of those things uh and and this does get us hopefully toward the answer of what does success look like what needs to happen before cruising can continue i will be very interested to see when the cdc publishes the results of this uh this I, I can't find the right word, but this survey will say, um, yep. how does that jive with other industries? How does that jive? And I mean, in terms of public opinion, if, if public opinion says, and I'm completely making this up. So this is just an example. If public opinion says, uh, we need to have, um, lower than a, uh, an R1, infection rate before cruising continues does the public think that that would also be a good idea for airlines for movie theaters etc um what is the consistency there and i worry as i said because we tend to be uh, harsh um peers <laughs> because we and because the cruise industry has long been has long attracted the scrutiny from people that say things that just aren't accurate. Oh, cruise ships or Petri dishes. Oh, please share with me what you're basing that observation on. And no one can. Um, uh, because of that, I fear that the responses the CDC are going to get are going to set uh, an impossibly high barrier. And I could realistically see, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I could realistically see some of the requirements being such that we, that the CDC says, uh, if this was the case, we wouldn't have been cruising in March of 2017. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that's that is a fear I have, but I'm still glad that at least we are looking, starting to look at that. What does success look like? Because yeah. nothing measured, nothing gained. You need to know what mark you need to hit, 
um, or else it's just a never ending argument because we all want things to be safer, right? Everything, yep. everything in life is a risk. And I'm not saying that right now going on a cruise, if, if they were sailing, uh, you know, outside of the exceptions we talked about, I'm not saying that is, it is an acceptable risk right now that I'm not saying it is, I'm not saying it isn't. That's not the point. What I am saying is that we all agree that we're okay with certain risks getting into a car, right? Those risks have been reduced by uh, traffic laws, by traffic control devices, by seatbelts and airbags and crumple zones and all of these things. Um, so we got to that acceptable risk. We have to get to, we have to find out what that acceptable risk is for the cruise industry and make sure that it is one that is reasonable in the context of reality. Because until, you know, someone said, well, until every single person has been vaccinated, well, there are a lot of problems with that in that even if we had a vaccine 20 years ago, not every person would be vaccinated. Right. So they're all it's it's going to be real interesting to see what what uh, what public opinion says about uh, the requirements. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned the um, the, the the you can't reduce the you can't uh, you, you can't re- remove the risk completely. And I know I remember there was a when Royal Caribbean announced in partnership with Norwegian, the healthy cell panel, there was an interview the next day between uh, one of the co-chairs on the panel, uh, Governor Levitt, I believe, and uh, Royal Caribbean Group uh, Chairman and CEO Richard Fain. And they talked about that there is no there is no such thing as zero risk. You can't, you, you, I don't want to say you can't put the genie back in the bottle, but you can't, there, there's always going to be risk. That's just, it, you're, it, it's a, it's a, it's a fantasy to think otherwise. And to your point, I think it's a really good point, Billy, that you've got to get that down to uh, where cruising is. You know, you've 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 eliminated the low hanging fruit, the obvious stuff there to prevent that kind of thing there. And um, and that'll be interesting. I think that's obviously going to be a lot of what we see here in relation to those new policies that come out, what the cruise lines are going to come up with in order to achieve exactly that. And what's interesting is I know for I can only speak to the healthy sail panel that Royal and Norwegian are working on, but they have commissioned this group for at least, uh, I believe the time period is two years to have time to obviously provide feedback, analyze, review, resubmit, review, you know, have a cyclical, uh, in the same way that any scientific method is, is done. You test, retest, adjust, test again, right? You, you want to make sure that eventually you get it right. You know, it's, it's just one of those things. Uh, but I want to go back quickly to what you mentioned earlier, Billy, about the CDC and the uh, the request for uh, comments and submit questions. This is a really interesting thing because um, the CDC, uh, this was uh, July 24th, issued an opportunity for the public to comment and submit questions that they'll use in formulating a new policy for cruise ships, which is really good because this comes on the heels of, I believe it was uh, Frank Del Rio who... I'm pretty sure during Norwegian's first quarter results, some, there was a question about something that about, you know, obviously they're they're working with the CDC and Norwegian kind of alluded to the fact they haven't heard anything back from the CDC about like anything that they've submitted to them, which kind of started to spur this thought of what do you mean they haven't heard anything back? Like, you know, they're almost being ignored to some extent. Um, and, and obviously this new opportunity to submit questions is interesting because some people see it, and I first saw that as, oh, they want to hear our feedback. Uh, but two things struck me. Number one, this is an example I've shared before, but it, it reminds me a lot of like when someone gets a liquor license. There's usually a sign in some in front of the store for a couple of weeks where you can go to something and you can tell them why this person shouldn't have a liquor license. But it's a formality. It's like something that they're legally obliged to do, but you don't act like nothing ever happens as a result of it. And the other thing about it is, well, it's also the question, the CDC gave a list of, I believe, 26, 20, sorry, 28 questions, specific questions like that you could go off of instead of just, you know, ranting about it, Billy style. And um, some of these questions were, you know, okay, that makes sense. Some of them were just like, well, this is absurd. Like this, this would never, like, it's, it's just, it's, 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 it, this would never happen in anything. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's an impossibility. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on, on on the questions, Billy? Because some of them are, like I said, some of them are really out there. Yeah. Um, I, and as you were talking, I was trying to bring up the list because I don't prepare ahead of time for podcasts. Um, that's 
that's fun for me. Um, but yeah, so reading the questions, I remember um, the first the first thought I had was who who wrote them? Like you know, uh, as said, you have to you have to have a um, a bar for success when you know if you want to know when something's successful. So that means you have to set the criteria. And I thought who who did this? And it seemed to me. Uh, like some of the questions, as you said, while being very logical, others were based on things that were hypotheticals that, that might not matter or, or questions that were written by people that really didn't understand cruising to begin with. And it's really important that for any industry, uh, those regulating it are familiar with the product or the, the service, the history and, and things like that. And it was unusual. Um, I, I'm not trying to, um, I'm not suggesting that there should have been additional layers of bureaucracy uh, here, but I almost feel like there should have been, <laughs> they first should have said, here are 200 questions. Which ones matter to you? All right, yeah. now answer those ones that matter to you. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. There's, like I said, 28 questions. Billy, I sent you a link here in the chat if you want to take a look at it while I'm yeah, talking about some of them. You know, some of them are kind of, you know, like I said, they're, I think the, the when I read the questions, again, I, I felt like this goes towards why some people feel the CDC is treating the cruise lines unfairly or to a double standard because some of these things are just simply they're i don't say ludicrous but they're just they're they're almost silly in, in the way they're saying it because they're not realistic they're not practical they're not based on they're based on hypotheticals as you mentioned there and you know there's some stuff that about like you know should the cruise line you know restrict um guests to only certain shore excursions okay you can make that argument certainly in the short term right and we've already seen that msc uh, actually made that as part of their policy you can only book msc excursions and, um, and that's what we were them. talking about before of like because cruise lines have the ability to control the the experience more than a hotel yeah. for example right and that makes right. sense i'm with that down with that yep yeah and then there are some other ones that you know i'm trying to find a good one here that that makes a whole lot of sense to so, kind of to, go ahead billy i'll share one that that jumps out at me that that maybe on its surface doesn't seem that weird, but I'll, I'll tell you why I don't think it's helpful. <laughs> Given difficulties cruise ship operators have experienced uh, have experienced when repa re repatriating crew via non-commercial transportation, what preparation should the industry make to repatriate passengers or crew via non-commercial transportation after COVID-19 is identified on board? Why is that different? Why is that mm. different than any any other circumstance where someone uh, was potentially exposed or exposed and then needs to fly to another place, usually another country. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll make it even different. How, why should a cruise line have to have a different thing in place there? Yeah. Well, it's like, I'm going to give you an example that just happened the other week. And I know you love sports analogies, Billy. So here's a sports analogy for you. Boy, sports ball. <laughs> Major League Baseball restarted its season and uh the the my also the florida marlins the miami marlins had an outbreak where i think like 15 or 19 of its players and and staff came down with the virus did they lock the marlins in their in their hotel erected a wall around them told them they can't leave the building and let the virus fester on the in the hotel among everybody no, of course not. They let them go into get medical treatment, whether that's a hotel, or sorry, a hospital, wrong H word, hospital, whether that was to have somebody come into the hotel to treat them, to be able to, you know, I would say go as they please, but they were able to be treated, whereas they didn't make the, the Marlins come up with, uh, I don't know, like a Learjet that landed outside the hotel in order to fly the, the player who may have been originally from, let's say, either Venezuela or may have been from Connecticut, in either case, fly them back to their home to be treated over there at the Marlins' expense. No, you you just treated them there. And again, I'm not, you know, this goes back to that example of what happened in Major League Baseball with the Marlins and now happening to some other teams as well is an example to me of a double standard because that goes back to what the CD said earlier. Remember in the no-sale order, you know, putting healthcare workers, poor personnel and communities as, at substantial unnecessary risk. How is Major League Baseball not doing that? How is that not an example of that? That goes back to what I think is the, again, not unfair, double standard. 
Yeah. And um, now I will say to the CDC's credit, with all of these things, by the way, this situation that we're facing right now is unprecedented uh, to, to anyone that's alive now, except for a handful of people who are centenarians. Right. <laughs> and they were children the last time. This was a, a really sizable concern. Um, the. So because of that, there are going to be mistakes and, geez, we didn't think of that and we got to do something now and then refine it. Well, one of those things where the CDC did refine it, but it was crazy, just as you're describing with uh, in the comparison with the, uh, the, the sports ball team uh, with the, the Miami Marlins, which I still want to call the Florida Marlins every time. Yeah. Um, while ships were still trying to get crews home. After sailing, after passenger travel had been stopped on ships, uh, the CDC said that any crew members had to have completely private transportation, basically door to door from the ship to their home, wherever that might be. Um, and if at any point someone had any exposure to other people that in, that results in an infection, that and I'm not this is I'm not exaggerating that the CEOs of the cruise lines could be held criminally liable. <laughs> and I went, what? So you're telling me, and this was actually the case at the time, you're telling me that you can have pick an arbitrary number, four hundred people on a ship in the ocean. They could all test negative. You could wait two weeks. They could all test negative again. Sounds sounds pretty safe at that point. And that person can't get on an airplane to fly home unless it's you know, a private charter and there's a private car and you know, all, the, all these different things. And if something goes wrong, it's the, the, the cruise line could be criminally responsible. Individuals at the cruise line could be criminally responsible. And yet somebody could totally have gone to a party yesterday and... Uh, or, you know, last week, tested positive today, walked out of a, you know, walked away from the place holding a, a positive test result, gotten into an Uber, waited and uh, gone up to the ticket counter at an airport, purchased a ticket, gotten on a plane. That That's where at the beginning it was like, well, this is, that's beyond a double standard. That's just to a level of insanity. Again, to the CDC's credit, after a time, it took longer than it should have, in my opinion, after a time, they said, okay, we're going to, uh, and they, I think they had a uh, like a green, orange, red rating system or something like that, where depending on who tested positive, when last tests were given for people on a ship, and if the ship's green, then okay, yeah, everyone can fly home as normal without any restrictions. Um, but it took a while to get there, and and that's that's the type of thing that why did that rule exist differently for the cruise lines? It didn't. It, it just there was no sense to it. It was done. I truly think out of this cruising seeming like something that's so different and has a reputation, unfortunately, and, and not rightfully as being in some way hazardous. I agree. I'm going to add one. I'm going to let you answer one more thing. The last point here again, this is the the argument that I've also seen being made. I don't really I don't think it matters, but I'm just curious what you think. A lot of people point to the fact, oh, the cruise lines are foreign flag. They're not U.S. based. Thus, they're not treated the same way as Delta Airlines, as an example, which obviously is an American company. Do you think that holds any weight in in your opinion as to why they're being tr the cruise lines have this uh, treated differently, unfairly, double standard, however you want to look at it? Zero. Absolutely. Wait, do, do I think that can Tributes to it, or do I think that should? Do I think that should? No, it has nothing to do with it at all. I mean, nothing. So much less than people understand, because people don't even understand that doesn't it doesn't even have to anything to do with taxes. It's not even. It's so unrelated. And ships visiting the U.S., ships calling on the U.S., ships embarking from the U.S., they have to follow all these same sets of rules anyway. So in fact, to that extent, Pride of America, the only U.S. flag cruise ship, doesn't have more regulations in those ways. It just has to do with like labor laws is you know 99% of it um then then a ship that that isn't flagged in in the United States so certainly it shouldn't do i think it does i think that contributes to the public perception problem yes i think that there's this idea that um that somehow cruise lines try and and, and skirt things even though uh you know who has to uh, report nora breaks uh 
cruise lines and assisted living facilities, and in some cases, college dorms. Oh, okay. Uh, who ha who has to you know uh, get randomly inspected to meet the this long list of uh, health and safety requirements? Uh, oh, well, that only applies to cruise lines. Uh, planes don't have those requirements, and hotels have very lax and totally different requirements, basically for the restaurants and the hotels, and that's it. Oh. Okay. So, you know, I, I think that it, it plays into public perception. And again, it's public perception that makes this so difficult. So it, really, if there's anything that anyone um, can do, if, you, if you're a cruise fan right now, or maybe you are not a fan of cruising, in which case, I have no idea why you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, I don't know. But thank maybe, you. Maybe you're a very adoring uh, fan of uh, of. My, my my old podcast, uh, uh, Mouse and Man. Uh, I'm sure that's it. Um, so if you're a fan of cruising and you want to be part of the solution, um, and I mean for both the way that the, the lines are being treated right now um, and it's scrutinized. I don't want to say treated. That sounds really juvenile or nitpicky. I Just in terms of the scrutiny. Um, not just for right now, but in the long term. And this is a very long term thing. Stop sharing sensationalized information. So when there is uh, there is some headline um, about a uh, whatever a Costa ship with a Noro outbreak, and it's it's an outbreak because it hit the three percent threshold, and based on the capacity of that ship you know it's uh it's all of 30 people or whatever and um when you see that and it's you know outbreak on the high seas don't don't post that to a facebook group it's not helpful information nobody's benefiting from that <laughs> it, it is a non-problem i'm not not trying to discount the you know people that on board that like don't feel well but like it's a non-problem it's a non-story don't share that don't, don't post that on facebook don't post that in a message board because that type of thing is what perpetuates this and makes it so much harder um along with just like the um just like the foreign flag thing um it's all part of contributing to this image. And I'm not saying that when you share those type of things, you're intending to hurt anyone. Uh, but I can tell you as someone uh, and, and Matt in, in different ways, as someone who has for part of his life, like had livelihood, you know, and, and family comfort based on how well the cruise industry is doing. Um, boy, people in the cruise industry don't appreciate it. Cause like, you're not, you're, you're just giving it a black eye, even when it's something that you love. And I'm not saying don't share inconvenient information. No, there are many, there are many realities in this world that are inconvenient, whether it's for those of us that like cruising or for those of us that just want to go to the gym or, you know, <laughs> go to a movie, whatever. Absolutely talk about those realities, but watch out for those sensationalized, um, things, those things that are mischaracterizing the cruise industry, because as those get shared, even with the best of intentions, um, that's what makes it so that public opinion um, ends up shaping policy that is not um, that is not equitable to the cruise industry and not equitable to those of us who want to take a cruise. Absolutely. Billy, uh, thanks very much. Of course, you can find Billy's work over at cruisehabit.com and uh, I hope that uh, as we go forward, a lot of this is a lot of the stuff we're talking about here today. I feel like it's just it, time is going to tell whether or not any of these things mattered, were accurate, or, or ended up being the case or not. But I do appreciate you uh, joining us here, joining us. Uh, I look around; it's me. Thank you for joining me, Billy, on today's podcast to talk about this. <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure what will have more accurate information: this podcast or our. Uh, early 2019 or late 2019 uh, predictions for the cruise industry in 2020 that we'll be revisiting in a few short months. Ooh, boy. I am, um, <laughs> yeah, that's going to be an awkward one. What Matt's talking about, by the way, is the last couple of years we we predict what the, what's going to happen in the cruise world like next year, and obviously um, the ones we did eight months ago are um, some plans are a little yeah. behind. Let me, uh, let me, let me, let me, if you can uh, jump up your volume, anybody listening, this is what we can tell about those predictions. I don't know if you heard me crumpling up the paper, but that's exactly what I did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know what that was supposed to be. It sounded more like you were violently eating a cookie, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that too. 
But yes, uh, thank you for having me. Um, listen, this is this is something I'm glad we get to talk about. Um, you know, we, we as you said, we'll see what's right, what's not right. We can only and when I say we, I mean, the world can only work off the best information that we have at the time. Uh, but I'm I'm sad that we have to talk about these things. I'm sad that it's something that even exists, uh, not just because of cruising, just it's a sad state of affairs. But uh, but I am glad to be here to talk about it with you.